Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Representative Ilhan Omar of Minnesota is one of the biggest advocates for immigration in Congress. She knows the immigration experience firsthand. She and her family lived in a refugee camp for four years before they came to the U.S. from Somalia. In this episode of the Carlos Watson Show podcast, she talks about becoming one of the best known members of Congress almost as soon as she was elected. She's part of The Squad, the four young progressive representatives who are all women of color. Congresswoman Omar, welcome to the show. Well, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Why did your folks choose Minnesota? Does Minnesota have a, uh, had friends or family, or why did you guys choose Minnesota? My family um, were educators when we were in Somalia, so education was the top priority, and my dad believed that education was the greatest equalizer. And so when we came to America, we started out in Arlington, Virginia, and our education was okay but my sisters were in search of better educational opportunities. And somebody said that Minnesota was, at the time, number one in the country. Uh, and so my, my oldest sister recommended that we move to Minnesota. She went out first, um, and then we eventually all made it out there. And how was it for you? I'm always curious. My dad is from Jamaica originally and often talks about moving to Ohio. Uh, in high school and what a transition that was for him. Uh, did you settle in easily? Was it was it tougher for a young girl who was uh, moving from overseas? What was that? What was that like for you? Yeah. So when we first came to the U.S., I was 12. So it was uh, extremely challenging to come to a country um, in a time when you're coming of age. You know, dealing with with adolescents and transitioning into middle school. I'd been out of school for four years, living in a refugee camp in Kenya, and I didn't speak English. The only words I don't know if we can say here were hello and shut up that I knew in English. And as you could imagine, they don't make you the best of friends in middle school. And so how did you find your way into politics? Was that, was that part of your growing up or was that a discovery that happened later on, either during college or post-college? So my family, you know, was led by my father and grandfather. I lost my mother when, um, when I was very young. And my dad and grandfather were born in an era where Somalia was colonized and um, lived through its independence and had a short time with democracy, the ability to vote. And they lost that uh, majority of the, the years where I lived there and in their lifetime, it was ruled by a dictator. And so coming to the United States was their first opportunity to fulfill that, that need to participate in a democracy. And when we moved to Minnesota, we got reconnected to my grandfather, who had also um, resettled in Iowa and moved to Minnesota because of us as well. And, um, and he wanted to participate. In Minnesota, we have something called caucuses. 
And I took him at the age of 14 to his first caucus as his cultural and language translator. And he participated there as my democracy translator. (laughs) And I um, fell in love with the process. It is a very grassroots democratic process that sort of invites neighbors to have robust debate about what's at stake for them and for their community and for their country. And I was really taken aback by the fact that this was a man who was my guide in life. And I leaned on him to teach me things. And now here I was giving him access to something he knew more about than I did. And so I stayed with that process in making it more accessible and restoring dignity for elders like him who were excited about this process but wasn't accessible to them because of the language difficulties. And so Minnesota now has the highest immigrant participants in uh, the election process. The Somali Americans in Minnesota vote at something like 90, 95%. And so from those days of attending the caucuses with just my grandfather have now translated to um, having one of the highest participation of Somalis in the neighborhood I grew up in. You know, in reading about your story, I was impressed on how quickly it feels like you've risen to elected office because for a number of years you were a staffer, you even managed campaigns. How did you decide to make a run yourself and did you do it with confidence and an expectation that you had a good shot at winning or were you a little uncertain but like, why not, I'm gonna try it anyhow? So as as I was saying, you know, I I love the idea of democracy. I love the idea of getting people to participate. When I was teaching nutrition um, at the University of Minnesota's extension program, I would uh, connect people with the policy decisions behind the shortcomings of the programs we were giving them. And I got interested in policy. And uh, I participated a lot in electoral politics but I kept a full-time job. That wasn't, that wasn't something I did for work. Um, it was something I did because I loved it. And you know, I got an opportunity from a young man whose campaign I managed to come work as his, his chief of staff. And I found that to be very challenging because as you probably can tell, I'm a very opinionated person. And when you are working for an elected person, you are not supposed to be seen, right? You are supporting someone um, who is the front of, of these policy decisions. And everybody who would visit our office or would interact with me in that, in that policy um, framework would always say like, why don't you run? You, you should be the person doing this. And I didn't think that someone like myself who, you know, had the complications of of being a woman, which is very challenging to be in politics, and then a new immigrant in the country, Muslim, visibly Muslim, and a young mother at the time. I had two young, three young children. And I, I just would say like, no. And I started to train women to run for office. Uh, and those women had an intervention with me and said that, you know, if, if you can convince others to run for office, then you should be able to convince yourself to overcome the internal challenges or the internalized challenges and do it yourself. And I wrote a list down of all the horrible things I believed could go wrong. <laughs> Um, as I transitioned into that uh, and, and eventually made the chump to challenge a 44-year incumbent for the Minnesota House of Representatives and won that race. And once you won that race, were you immediately looking at Congress or did that happen because Keith Ellison decided to run for attorney general? Yeah, I mean, it took so long to convince me to run for that seat. I was not thinking about <laughs> running for office. And, you know, my first race, I, I say, was probably more painful than anything I'd ever experienced. You know, it's not a cakewalk to unseat a 44-year incumbent when you have, you know, many many of the, the challenges that comes with 
the the different identities I carry in in a in a Minnesota constituency, <laughs> and you know I imagined that I would serve in the Minnesota House for a while, and Keith decided to run for the attorney general's seat um, and called few of us that he thought should think about running for his seat. Um, and there was there were eight of us, seven of us ended up filing. Six of us remained on the ballot and I was able to win that primary uh, and, and defeat those opponents. So tell me a little bit about your experience now in the house that you've been there a couple of years. Do you enjoy it? Uh, uh, I, I know obviously you are good at it. You've made an impact like few freshmen do, but do you actually enjoy it? I do. Um, for me, I love the, the policy aspect of the work that we get to do. Um, I love, you know, the ability to maneuver the legislative um, process. I serve as the whip for the Congressional Progressive Caucus. And so, you know, being um, provided with the opportunity uh, to not only um, bring myself along to, to vote on a certain policy or to stop the implementation of a certain policy, but to do that for um, my colleagues who you know are on an ideological spectrum with me um, is, is quite rewarding and challenging. Um, I don't enjoy the travel. <laughs> it's, it's hard to um, be a mother, uh, a daughter, and, um, and, and serve your, your constituents when you are living in, in two different places constantly. Um, and so navigating that has been very challenging. But other than that, it's been really just a pleasure to have the honor and the opportunity not to only serve my constituency, but also as a first in many magnitudes to inspire and uplift so many people who've never thought of themselves as um, as people who could be one day in the halls of power and, and serve in Congress. If you could go back and talk to that woman who was chief of staff, um, a younger Ilhan Omar, what would surprise her the most about these first two years in Congress? Like, like she's a smart woman. She knows a lot about politics. She's been involved since she was 14 with her grandfather. But even still, what would surprise her? What would catch her a little bit off guard? It's not as hard as she thought. Really? Oh, say more. Say more. I mean, I, I know to, to, to the most, um, to most of, you know, the, the people who, who've watched my, my rise in, in politics, get a, uh, a front row seat to many of the challenges I've had. Um, but to, to that Ilhan at City Hall, um, those challenges are minimal to the challenges she perceived would be there. You know, I remember when I first ran for Congress and won my primary, everybody was calling me to congratulate me. And my biggest worry was how was I going to get the opportunity to overturn the 181 year ban on wearing a headscarf? Like, would I even get the opportunity to get sworn in because somebody like me wasn't permissible um, to be in, in Congress yet? And I thought, what happens if the Republicans remain in the majority? Will, you know, knowing this is Trump's Republican party, would they allow for a Muslim like myself to get the chance to 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 have a seat um, in in the chamber? And uh, and I remember talking to Nancy Pelosi at the time, Leader Pelosi, um, and you know other members, and you know them shrugging it off because this was my biggest worry. And so I think for for a lot of people, the challenges that they see or hear about are really not um, 
all-encompassing of, of the challenges I know can exist and will exist for me. And so my, you know, opportunities um, are, are surprising to me often, I'm grateful for. And, um, and I would say the, the ways in which I've been able to, to navigate many of the pitfalls um, would also surprise, I, you know, that, that Ilhan at, at City Hall, who thought it was just a shock that she was getting to, to be a staffer at City Hall. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Congresswoman, I, I've got a couple people in mind, but I'm curious, who are some of your heroes and heroines, or, or even just people you enjoy? Who's on that list? If I had a little Pinterest board uh, for Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, who would be on that board? I mean, so, you know, you probably can see behind me, um, Shirley Jism was an inspirational figure for me. I think the first um, time I probably considered um, running for office was after seeing her documentary um, and knowing that there are challenges for a first, but you can overcome and you, you don't only survive, but you can thrive. And she's been a model for me and um, an inspiration to not lose myself in, in this work and to find ways to turn every challenge into an opportunity. Um, Chairwoman Karen Bass, who chairs the Congressional Black Caucus, who also is the chairwoman for uh, the Africa Sub-Caucus on Foreign Affairs. Um, and my chairwoman is um, a shiro of mine. She's, you know, a mentor and, um, and, and a guardian for me in, in many ways. Barbara Lee of California um, is who I think about when I think about what it means to stand alone um, and to have integrity and moral clarity uh, and to lead with conviction. Um, so there, there are a lot of really strong people that I have had the opportunity to now serve with who I'd admired 
um, like the late John Lewis. Um, you know, it's interesting. My my father was more excited to to see Speaker Pelosi and John Lewis than he was um, to see me get sworn in. Uh, and and I remember him, you know, saying, "Yes, it's it's historic that you're like firsts and you're here, um, but it's also historic that you get to serve." with, you know, these people that are um, really the, the cornerstone of what represents progress in, 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 our, in our country. Um, and that you, you're not only joining them in history, you are joining them in the present. Um, and that is, um, you know, that's something I don't ever take for for granted, and something that um, stays with me. The opportunity to serve has only been afforded afforded to about ten thousand people in our country, um, in in Congress, and I get to be one of those people. Only you know, after being in this country a little over twenty years, so it is it's something special. It is, and I and I, my condolences on your dad, but but also I see how brightly you light up when you talk about him, and I can see him, and and I now have an even better sense of uh, how special he must have been because because your instinct in talking about him uh, is to light up, and uh, and and I could I even though I don't know you, I think I can tell all the things that may be going on in your head. As, as you talk about uh, uh, him a little bit, um, uh, I, uh, I, I'm sure you must miss him. Uh, I'm sure you must miss him a lot. Yeah, thank, thank you for that. Um, you know, my, my, my father wasn't just a father to me. He was um, the only parent I knew. Um, and, you know, he not only gave every, everything to me that I could ever need um, in, in a parent um, and in a in a supportive way, um, but he really I think instilled in me um, a sense of what it means to be hopeful, what it means to be joyful, to 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 seek happiness, um, and and to be grounded really in in gratitude. Um, you know he was very adamant that we never got stuck in, in, in a moment of sorrow, right? He would say, your tomorrow can be better than your today. And for me, every day I wake up um, reminding myself that whatever the situation might be that I'm in, um, I do have an opportunity to make it better for tomorrow. And that's for myself, that's for my children, that's for my constituents, um, and that's for, for everyone who uh, is, is inspired by my journey and sees themselves um, in, you know, in, in the challenges and opportunities that are before me. If you don't mind me asking, Congresswoman, what did you call your dad? We called him Abba Noor, and we called my grandfather Baba, because my, my aunts and uncles called their father Baba, and because we grew up in his house and I was born in his house, it, it just, it felt like that was the natural name, and he also was like a second father to us. Um, and, and, you know, my dad told this story that once my oldest sister uh, tugged at him and said, you know, I hope, I hope you, something to the effect of like, I hope you know that we know you are our father, you're our Abe. Um, but he, he also is, you know, like Baba to us too. And, um, and, and even though we love him, like we know that you are our father. <laughs> Cause it, it, he said she could sense that he, he thought it was strange to have, um, you know, the, the awarding for, for father be given to, to both of them. But she reassured him that, that she was creating the distinction and, you know, every other child that came would know that distinction, that he was our dad and, and our grandfather um, was our, our grandfather. 
There's something about father and daughters. I have three sisters that I remember as a boy asking my dad for things, and he always say, no, I don't have anything. And then my sister would come and ask, and he would say, sure, how much? And I would look at him, and he said, one day you'll understand. He said, when you'll have daughters, you'll understand. So I know there's a magic uh, uh, to you daughters. I don't know. I feel like I, I feel like some days my dad was harder on us than he was on my brothers. I have um, both brothers and sisters, and... You know, he would say he, he, he treated us equally, but I, I, I feel like he was preparing us for a harsher world that, than, than the one, you know, that, that would be faced by his sons. And so we all grew up, I think, prepared to take on a world that um, wasn't prepared to take on us. You, you know, and I love that. And I love that fighting spirit. I'm thinking about your girl, Shirley Chisholm, unbought and unbossed. I, uh... I, I love that, and I assumed that you were going to say her. Tell me a little bit about on the policy end. If you, if not you have the benefit of thinking about policy, at least as I see you, from several different angles, and and I think there's a real advantage to kind of the multiple seats at the table that you've played, whether it's been as a staffer, whether it's been as someone who's newly moving to the country, whether it's been as a mother, whether it's been as a nutritionist, teacher, etc. If you were to identify in your mind the top three policy priorities today, what are those and has it changed since you came into Congress? In other words, have you learned things or seen things that now have reshuffled your priorities? No, um, you know, my, my priorities have been in, in sort of, right, like buckets. It's, it's addressing the economic neglects that I've seen growing up in, in you know, very disenfranchised neighborhood in, in Minneapolis which means that, you know, we, we fight to increase the minimum wage. We fight for housing um, policies that guarantee homes to everyone. Um, and we fight for, you know, things like an equitable education and access to meals, whether it is um, healthy foods or meals for, for our children, because I believe you can't educate the brain, um, you can't feed the brain unless you feed the belly. And, and sort of thinking about, um, you know, immigration uh, and, and fighting for humane immigration policy, one that understands seeking asylum is a human right, um, an internationally recognized human right, uh, and that there is a role and responsibility of every country to to look after folks who are forcefully being displaced um, or are being displaced by, you know, natural disasters. Um, and and lastly, thinking about how our foreign policy and and a focus on creating conflict and not peace has made us unsafe domestically has made us prioritize putting resources there and neglect the resources that should have been devoted to domestic policies. And thinking through all of that in the lens of creating a more equitable and just world. And so our, you know, our priorities remain the same. Do you think capitalism can deliver social justice? No, no, not in the ways in which it's currently designed. We see over and over again that there is a redistribution of wealth and it is just upwards. And you, you know, you've seen the recent reports where the top 1% um, continues to get wealthier while the bottom 90 percent continues to get poor. And when there is supposed to be a promise of prosperity and access to that prosperity, uh, and we have policies that are not, that don't inform that principle, um, then we get to be stuck in a cycle that is not sustainable. And so for me, I support policies that address the economic neglects that we see throughout our country. Uh, and that's the only way that you're able to address the social neglects as well. Congresswoman, how hopeful are you that a Biden-Harris administration would make substantial change? Because the things I'm hearing you talk about aren't like incremental on the corner changes. You're talking about big, meaty, 
meaningful change. How hopeful are you that theirs would be a change administration? I mean, it's it's fascinating to me that you know we 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 have a tendency to talk about incremental change being the the the, the things that are possible when it comes to addressing right economic and social neglect. But we don't do that when we're talking about corporate giveaways and tax cuts that create disenfranchisement for all of us. We don't talk about that when we're talking about the blooming Pentagon budget. We don't say, where are the incremental changes, right? We go for um, the real investment. And so for me, what I'm looking for forward to is that uh, a Biden-Harris ticket uh, administration will have an equitable lens in, in, in ways in which they are using their lived experiences to guide their policymaking in ways in which they have never used it before. You know, it's one thing to say that you come from a disenfranchised background. This is your lived experience. You grew up in, you know, see the riverside um, and you know what it means to be hungry. You know what it means to go to a school that's not fully funded. You know what it means to be uh, over-policed and, and to, to, to use that experience to creating policies that create remedies, right, for, for those things that you've experienced that you don't want anybody to experience. And it's one thing to, to, to use that just as a talking point to, to be relatable and then not use it as an experience that fuels your policymaking. And so I hope that that is the way in which they operate, that we are going to see, you know, freeing of... 45 million people from the shackles of student debt, that there will be um, a homes guarantee policy that ends homelessness and addresses, you know, the millions of people in this country who are unhoused or housing insecure, um, that we will see the implementation, um, criminal serious criminal justice reforms, um, and that we will get an opportunity to have humane immigration policy and, and finally an ability to, addre- to address our uh, climate crisis. You know, this is, um, Harris represents California. Um, I know she's talked about the need for us to address our climate crisis. And I hope that their proposals meet the scale of, of the crisis um, in a way that is, that is meaningful. What so many people are tired of, and many of the non-voters that I talk to in, in my district, um, is that they say politicians talk about you know, the problems and they are never willing to be bold enough or courageous enough to propose solutions that will address them. You know, I've done that in every single policy that I've introduced. You know, it's, it's talking about the problems that I see and having that lens drive um, the, the, the visionary, bold, courageous policies we propose. And I hope that that's what this, what this upcoming administration hopefully does. And if they don't, I know that the people will organize and push them to do so. That's interesting that you say that I could see a, a real 1960s style debate between uh, the most liberal elements, which back in that day, the most liberal elements came from Minnesota as well. Hubert Humphrey at the time who was in the Senate uh, pushing on a number of those who could end up pushing more centrist uh, Democratic administrations. Um, tell me a little bit about Minnesota, because, Congresswoman, I was surprised, probably like a lot of people, um, not just surprised, but saddened to see what happened to George Floyd uh, in Minnesota and in Minneapolis, we're used to thinking of Minnesota, at least folks I know, as a very progressive place. We think of it as Prince's uh, state. We think of it as, if you're old enough to remember people like Walter Mondale and Hubert Humphrey and even going further back, as a very progressive place. And so to see it aflame, uh, to see the officers uh, do what they did, um, even to see people stand around and see that, 
how should we think about uh, Minnesota and where it is and where it's going? Is it no longer the progressive uh, uh, capital that I kind of always thought of it as? It is. And that's the, the, the piece, you know, in, in Minnesota where, where we say things get interesting. <laughs> for, for everyone um, that is not black <laughs> um, or brown in, in Minnesota is great when it comes to education attainment, when it comes to access to health, when it comes to you know walkable cities and so every every measure um, we are the best right we rank one two or three now when it comes to black folk <laughs> we are the worst um, or we rank the bottom three ev consistently every single year and just to put that in context for you. 50% of black Minnesotans are unemployed or underemployed. 50% of Minnesotans are uninsured or underinsured when it comes to healthcare. We are in, in so many ways progressive except finding policies to address the racial equity gaps that exist in our in our communities. And so when you have, you know, a state like ours that is majority white, you know, I the district I represent is about 70% white, and you have, you know, these these policies that are progressive, but you make every policy that addresses social and economic neglect be means-tested, then you end up having people be underserved in, uh, in the communities that need that service the most. Uh, and so the lens in which we approach the work is, hasn't been working for, for Minnesota. Many of us have talked about the, the brutality of the, the police. We've talked about the criminalization of poverty. We've talked about outdated ordinances that exist in our communities that create gateway for pro profiling of black and brown people in our community. And when I was at City Hall, we, got, we worked on getting rid of some of those ordinances in, in Minneapolis, but there's still a lot of work to do because again, this is a state, a city that has existed for a long time um, without the presence of any brown or black people. Um, and it's a space where many of the policies that still govern have been on the books for so long. And yes, people advocate for reform all the time, but many of those reforms are not implemented and so we are not seeing that progress capture um, the needs of the black and brown community in Minnesota. And you continue to have, you know, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Minnesota be the worst three states for black people to live in America, even though they have, you know, they have made many strides in, in creating progress for their communities. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA.
Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. I was curious to ask you a little bit about what you've learned from the other side of the aisle. Any interesting, unexpected friendships with Republicans? No, not really. Keeping it pure. Okay. Okay. Any lessons learned? Any um, I- any interesting ideas? Because I hear you as someone who draws not only from across the aisle, but across the world. Like when you talk about things, you make references to different, different uh, cultures, different traditions, different histories. Anything interesting, even if you disagree, anything interesting you've learned uh, from Republicans and or President Trump? One of the interesting aspects uh, that, you know, is, is, is helpful in, in my work as the whip of the Progressive Caucus is to think through what districts members represent um, as we, you know, try to approach our, our conversations and, and think about where there might be unlikely allies. Um, and you know there there are lots of members in in the Republican Party that are you know sort of the libertarian wing of the Republican Party, um, some that might represent districts that are you know socioeconomically similar to some of the districts that our members represent, and they're there has been collaboration uh, at times in doing amendments together um, and certainly, you know, a lot of collaborations in, in committee work. Yeah, that must be, uh, is it, is it um, what's the right way to say it? What's it like being a member of Congress in D.C.? Are you royalty? Are you the equivalent of an actor in Hollywood? Are you anonymous? What's it like being a uh, member of Congress in, uh, in D.C.? I think for some of us there is no anonymity, <laughs> but I don't. I don't really spend a lot of time in in D.C. You know, I'm uh, on Capitol Hill. I I vote and then I go back to sleep. <laughs> and when I get the chance to to return home, I'm back to Minneapolis. All right, I'm gonna try a little rapid fire here with you. So whatever comes to your mind first, favorite book? To Kill a Mockingbird. Oh, interesting. Oh, very interesting. Um, Country that you'd love to visit? Indonesia. Up and coming young politician that we should keep our eye on? Corey Bush and Jamal Bowen. You know, your boy Jamal Bowman was on uh, the show earlier. He still has the most views of anyone who's ever been on the show. So uh, he, uh, he was on the show earlier and Karen Bass was our first guest ever. So uh, uh, I love the Congresswoman. She was our uh, she was our first guest. He's one to watch. He's bringing a lot of fire. We're excited to welcome him here. Do you like the name The Squad? You don't like the name The Squad? 
I've grown to like the name The Squad. Um, for us, it sort of is not just about our sisterhood, the sisterhood that exists between the four of us, but it's, it's also beyond that. It includes everyone who is fighting for a more just, equitable world. So our squad is big, as Ayanna Presley says. I love that. Uh, your favorite musician or one of your favorite musicians? Well, I'm Minnesotan, so Prince is one of, you know, my my favorites. Favorite TV show? Criminal Minds. Interesting. Interesting. Why? It's got, you know, action. Um, it has a window into a world I find intriguing with, with the, the kind of people who have the ability to analyze and understand the most dangerous people in our society and are helped to solve crimes that um, really offend the conscience. Okay, I'm more of a law and order person, but okay. I watch all of those, but currently I'm re-watching Criminal Minds, so that's that's currently my favorite. I don't know why, but something tells me to recommend Peaky Blinders to you. Have you ever watched Peaky Blinders? No. Oh, you're gonna thank me for that one. That's a goodie. You're gonna thank me for that one. That's a goodie. It's on Netflix. It's set 100 years ago in kind of Ireland and the UK, and I'm not gonna tell you anything else, but something tells me you're gonna like that one. So that's, uh, that's, uh, that's my gift there. Those are two countries I have visited, so it'd be interesting to watch. Yeah, definitely. It, it's well done. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's well done. It's on Netflix. It's a, uh, it's a goodie. Um, 10 years from now, where will we see you? I'm not sure. If you would ask me 10 years ago where you would see me, I wouldn't have predicted where I am right now. So my life has been full of welcome surprises. Are we more likely to see you uh, in the Senate, in the governor's office, as the CEO of an organization, or as an author and talk show host? All of those things sound unlikely to me at the moment, so we will see. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Um, uh, and your favorite food? Somali food. Uh, it is a way in which I cope with my childhood nostalgia. Uh, and I love getting the opportunity to make it, make the foods that I enjoyed as a kid for my kids so that that part of their heritage isn't lost. Congresswoman, as we finish up, as you said, you have not been anonymous at all. And, and in fact, I know you embrace it. I feel that good strength uh, in you. Uh, I feel all those people traveling through you. You ever hear any of the critiques and say, you know what, someone got it right, that, that they're right, I was wrong on this. Have you heard those kind of critiques? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a critique that I am loud, defiant, and, uh, and unafraid. <laughs> um, and and I, I would say that's probably on the dot. There is something in my Somali blood that that makes me loud and afraid and defiant. We've survived way too much um, and still continue to survive and thrive. I so love uh, I so love hearing that. Um, and I, 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 I when you say that now I can uh, I can see that too. I can see that kind of uh, uh, kind of traveling through. Your daughter, do you think she'll follow you? I know she's been very active on climate. Do you think we'll ever get to see her in office one day? So Isra um, had plans at the age of five to run for office. She wanted to be president, as many young people do. Um, and she said that I stole the idea of running for office from her. And she's no longer interested in being a politician. So I'm not sure. But my youngest daughter, Ilwad, is currently running for office in her third, in, she's in third grade, she's running for office in her elementary school. And so she might be a politician in the making. Uh, is she like her mom? Is she bold? Is she defiant? 
Yes, uh, I, I, I would say my, my, my dad used to say it, it would be his best revenge if any of my children gave me as much of a hard time as I gave him. And I would say he's, he's had that revenge on me. They are very much all, um, including my son, like me, very, very bold, very defiant, um, very opinionated, uh, and very much their, their own person already. And so um, I've, got, I've got some years left <laughs> um, in, in shaping them in, into very interesting and um, ex- exciting young adults. And, uh, and I know that that will mean some sleepless nights for me, but my dad and I made it on the other side of my teenage years as best friends. And so I look forward to that with them. Congresswoman, what an absolute joy uh, to have you. Uh, Congresswoman Bass had said uh, such nice things to me about you off camera, and I was really looking forward to meeting you, and I'm excited to tell her how much uh, how much I enjoyed it. Um, uh, I think the last thing I'm going to ask you is what would surprise people, even people who are big fans of yours, they think they know you well, what would surprise them to find out about you? I mean, a lot of things. I, I don't feel... You know, I, I wrote my my book because I felt like the the ways in which people have been introduced to me has been lopsided <laughs> um, into who I really am, and and I would say one of the most surprising thing for someone who's so much of an extrovert like myself is that I really am. You know the like a like an extreme homebody that just would sit quietly and watch reruns of of old shows. I love that an easy person. Um, uh, they would be surprised. Uh, uh, Congresswoman, I hope you will come back. I hope this won't be the. Uh, I hope this is the first but not the last visit. Well, looking forward to it. Thank you so much. It's been great. Thanks for listening to the Carlos Watson Show podcast. Please let your friends know they can find us on iTunes and the iHeartRadio podcast app. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.